0: Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for this day where we get to celebrate the tomb was empty. Uh, Father, please help us to understand, to believe, to marvel at that glorious truth. Uh, Father, we want to know you better. We want to understand more what it means that Christ was raised. So open our eyes now to see glorious truths in your word. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege just to preach a short sermon tonight on the, the empty tomb in the resurrection. Uh, I want to begin with these words uh, from an inscription on a, on a gravestone. And if you're looking for an inscri- inscription for your gravestone, this is a great one to put. It's on the screen. It says, a forgiven sinner confidently awaiting a joyous resurrection. Isn't that a great inscription? A forgiven sinner confidently awaiting a joyous resurrection. And I think we get the forgiven sinner bit. I think we understand that uh, Christ died for our sins. I think we understand, Good Friday, that on the cross, he took the penalty that we deserve so that we might be forgiven. We get the cross. But friends, Jesus Christ is not on the cross anymore, is he? He's not on the cross anymore. Remember the story of the lady who walked into the jewelry shop in the UK? And she said, I want to buy a cross. And I want the one with the little man on it. And the jeweler was a Christian. And he said, Madam, the, the little man was called Jesus. And the little man is the son of God. And the little man is crucified. But the little man rose again. He's not on the cross anymore. So, in this shop, we don't sell crucifixions with the man on it. We only sell plain crosses because he's risen, he's alive. And the resurrection shouts to us today I'm alive. The tomb is empty, the cross is finished. And Jesus is alive, that's our hope, our confidence, our comfort and our restoration. Hallelujah. At Billy Graham's funeral, uh, Billy Graham decided to write something to be read at his own funeral. And these words were read. Someday you will read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I would just have changed my address. I would have gone into the presence of my God. Isn't that wonderful? That's the resurrection hope. A new address, more alive than we are today, and in the presence of our glorious, great God. And that's what we're celebrating today, that the tomb was empty, that Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. have got three reasons why God is for us. Here's the first one. God is for us because Jesus was raised. That's the historical facts of the resurrection, and you cannot deny them. We just read about it, Matthew 28, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. They're extraordinary words. So look around this tomb, and you will not find Jesus anywhere. Why? Because he has risen. And that is the heart of our Christian faith. John Stott there says that Christianity is a resurrection religion. If you remove the resurrection, Christianity is destroyed. The Apostle Paul put it more succinctly in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Jesus was not bodily raised, your faith is futile. He's really just saying, if Jesus was not raised, then Christianity is a hoax, and Jesus was a liar, and we're wasting our time. If Jesus was not raised, can I put this very succinctly? Please stop wasting your time. Why are you here tonight if Jesus was not raised? Just go and enjoy a nice meal at a Thai restaurant or go for a nice walk on the beach somewhere. It is all pointless. It is all pointless and worthless if Christ was not raised. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ has been raised, he's risen indeed, hallelujah. And to put it bluntly, no reputable historian would ever deny that fact. A professor of modern history at Oxford University, who himself is not a believer, he said this, No one fact in the history of mankind is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ died and Christ rose from the dead. See, for Christians, our faith is built on facts, not feelings, on evidence, and not emotions. The fact is, he was raised. The tomb was empty. Jesus promised he would suffer. He promised he would die. And on the third day, he would rise again. And everyone heard that. We just read the chief priests and the Pharisees said in 27 verse 63, after three days, he said he would rise again. So, if Jesus didn't rise, if he didn't keep his word, he's a liar. We remembered a couple of days ago, he really was dead. And we just read that he was really buried. Now, I hope you know that a crucified man was usually dumped in a mass grave outside the city. They had no rights of a burial. But this kind, courageous, rich Jewish leader, Joseph of Arimathea, he offered his expensive, unused tomb. And when you think tomb, don't think hole in the ground, you think rock with a large chamber and a massive stone rolled over to keep the grave robbers out and the wild animals out. And I love the fact you've got these eyewitnesses, these these women who went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday. I like to call them the first Spice Girls. The women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who went to the tomb with their spices. And they saw everything. They saw where Jesus died in verse 55. They, they saw where he was buried in verse 61. And then they saw the empty tomb. And I said it before, if this was fiction, if this, this was made up, in, in the first century you would not choose women to be your eyewitnesses. Because sadly, in the first century, the testimony of women had no legal rights. No weight. But much to the embarrassment of the early church, God chose women to witness the resurrection. The tomb was empty, no one stole the body, robbers didn't steal it, disciples didn't steal it, the authorities didn't steal it, he was raised. I don't know whether you've ever been to a a burial place of somebody you love. When you go to the tombstone, you you go to that place because you feel near them. And there might be flowers there, there might be a candle there, there might be a picture there, it's like a shrine really. A place to go to be near your loved one. There's not a shred of evidence that anybody went to this tomb after that first Easter day. Why? Because the body wasn't there. He was raised. you've got these early disciples who were totally transformed after that first Easter Sunday, from being fearful to being bold and courageous, these 12 men who even were beaten and tortured for their beliefs in the resurrection. You may have heard of Charles Charles Colson. He's the man who became a Christian after Watergate. He wrote this. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. And every one of those 12 men was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it was not true. Watergate, in broad, 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And those powerful men couldn't keep alive for just three weeks. And you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I mean, the facts are there. Jesus was raised. And when you love someone Who dies, that really matters, you know. Maybe you're here tonight and you are questioning the facts. Can I encourage you to to read this gospel? Take it away with you as a a gift from us. There's a course that we run called Christianity Explore that you can come along to and ask any question you want. But Jesus was raised, that's the fact. And number two, God is for us because Jesus is alive. And this is where it gets personal. God is for us because Jesus is alive. That means that you and I can have a real relationship, a real personal living relationship with the living Lord Jesus. You can't have a relationship with a dead person, can you? We just sung about it. Praise the King, he is risen. Praise the King, he's alive. I love that the Jesus wasn't raised to die again. Jesus was raised never to die again. He's alive today. He's living today. You can know him. You can talk to him. You can cry out to him. And he hears. There's a repeated phrase in Matthew's Gospel. You might have missed it. Uh, Verse 7, it says, There you will see him. Verse 10, There you will see me, says Jesus. Verse 17, They saw him. They saw Jesus because he wasn't dead. He was actually alive, and he ate, and he drank, and he talked. The fact that Jesus is alive it changes everything. You can have a real relationship with him. There's two words in verse 10 that really struck me this year. Jesus said to his disciples, "Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Is that amazing?" That Jesus calls his disciples my brothers. He's offering him that, that relationship, that intimate family relationships. And that's what Jesus offers you, you know. You can know Jesus, you can talk to Jesus, you can cry out to him. And he hears because he's alive. I love this dialogue between a Muslim and a Christian. The Muslims said this, we Muslims have one thing, that you, one thing you Christians don't have. When we go to Medina, we find a coffin and we know that Muhammad lived because we have his body in it. But when you Christians go to Jerusalem, you find nothing but an empty tomb. And the Christian said this, thank you so much. What you say is just so, so true. And that's what makes the eternal difference. The reason we find an empty tomb is that we do not serve a dead man, and we serve a risen, living, personal Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not dead, he's alive. So when you talk to him, he listens. When you cry to him, he comforts. Someone said there's power in the presence of the risen Savior to solve your difficulties. Remove your perplexities, calm your fears, ease your burdens, dry your tears, meet every your every need, tranquilize your minds, and satisfy every craving of your heart. He cares, he comforts, he listens, he loves, he satisfies, he strengthens, because he's alive. And as verse 20 reminds us, he will never leave us; he's always with us through the good and the bad. So number one, he's for you because Jesus was raised. Number two, he's for you because Jesus was alive. Number three, he's for you because we will rise. We will rise. Just as Jesus lives, I will live. Just as death was not the end for Jesus, it's not the end for me. Just as Jesus rose, I will rise. With a new body, a resurrection body, an imperishable body, a glorious body, that will never fail. That's our hope. One of the enormous privileges of a pastor is to conduct funerals. Since I stood here last year, I have buried stillborn children, a one-year-old, a three-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 90-year-old, And it is excruciatingly painful and so deeply sad. And we grieve and we mourn and we weep and there's tears. But amongst the sadness, amongst the grief and amongst the pain, for the Christian funeral, there's hope. There's a hope of the resurrection. There's a hope that we will see that person again. There's a hope that that person is free from suffering and free from pain and they now with Jesus, which is better by far. It transforms your grief. I don't know whether you've experienced grief the pain, the sadness, that gaping hole, and you long to see them. But the truth about resurrection Sunday is that we will rise and they will rise if they're in Christ it been said that Christ broke up every funeral service he ever attended because death could not exist where Jesus was. I don't know whether you think about death much. I grew up with death all around me. It's the enemy that stalks us all our life, isn't it? And we try to ignore it. And then someone we love dies and the pain is intense. So we try to ignore it and we ourselves are diagnosed with a debilitating illness and death looms large. And the resurrection shouts, do not be afraid of death because Jesus defeated death and he's beaten death and death could not hold him down. Oh death, where is your sting? It's kind of take that death. You're nothing death, get away from me death because I will rise we still die we have coffins we have graveyards we have cemeteries and physical death is a reality but for those in Christ it is not the end it's just the beginning we will rise as Christ was raised to life and that changes everything and it makes you see this world differently because Sydney is a beautiful world isn't it it's a beautiful city so much good so much beauty so much kindness but so much hurt and hatred, and anger, and anxiety, and sickness, and sorrows. And you say, surely, surely there must be a better place than this. I've read this story before, but it is so good, I'm going to read it again. It's about the missionary Gregory uh, Fisher, who lectured at a Bible college in Africa. What will he say when he shouts... The question taught me by surprise. I'd found out that West African Bible college students ask some of the most penetrating questions about minute details of Scripture. Reverend 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud shout. I'd like to know what that shout will be. I wanted to leave the question unanswered to tell him we mustn't go past what Scripture has revealed. But my mind wandered to an encounter I had early in the day with a refugee from the Liberian Civil War. The man was a high school principal. He told me how he was apprehended by a two-man death squad, tortured, narrowly escaped, but two of his children lost their lives. I also saw flashbacks of the beggars that I pass every morning on my way to the office. And every day I see how poverty destroys dignity and robs men of the best of what it means to be human. Reverend, you haven't given me an answer. What will Jesus say? Enough, I said. Jesus will shout, Enough. I look a look of surprise over on the face of the student. What do you mean, enough? Enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror, enough death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness and disease and debilitating illness, enough, enough, enough. I think it's a good answer. Enough of innocent kids being tortured by terrorists, enough of domestic violence and child abuse, enough of dictators causing panic and fear in our world, enough of debilitating disease and depression and natural disasters, enough, 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 enough. This is a messed up world. You want to cry, enough, Lord. Bring on that resurrection day when we have that new creation with bodies that will not decay and no injustice and no pain and no suffering and no evil. Enough, enough, enough. I don't know about you, but I long for that day. I long for that day when there is no suffering and no pain and no evil and no injustice. And I long for my resurrection body. Chatting this week on Thursday to some dear friends of mine, David and Sharon Holgate. They live in South Africa. They've got a son called Daniel who is 16 years old. He has an incurable disease, similar to muscular dystrophy. All his muscles are wasting away. He's already in a wheelchair, he can no longer use his arms. And I found out on Thursday, he can't even roll over in his own bed at night. He needs 24-hour care. And he won't reach adulthood. As I talked to David and Sharon, they talked about the hope of the resurrection. And the joy they had that he would have a new body with muscles at work and legs at work and arms at work. And it changes everything. I I long for my new body. This aging, aching, frail, failing body. I just want a new body that works properly and a new mind that works properly. No more cancer, no more brain tumors, no more heart defects, no more depression, no more disease, no more migraines, no more miscarriages, no more mental health issues. Enough, enough, enough we will rise. Just as Christ was raised, we will be raised with a perfect body. So God is for us because Jesus was raised. Fact. God is for us because Jesus is alive. You can know him personally. God is for us because one day we will rise. And that changes everything. I came across this picture this week. It's from the Notre Dame Cathedral. It was a tragedy, wasn't it? The ashes, the chaos, the decay. But in the middle of the ashes, in the middle of the rubble, there was one thing that was not touched by that fire, and that was the cross. The cross that stood firm amongst all the chaos and rose out of the ashes. And they talked about how we will rebuild and we will restore and we will resurrect this cathedral. And God promised to do that for us, you know, to rebuild us and to restore us and to resurrect us, not a cathedral, but our souls and our bodies. And that's why we say Christ is risen. We say he's risen indeed. Hallelujah.